ಇಂಟ್ರೊಡಕ್ಷನ್ಸ್ ಟು ವೇದಾಂತ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಬೈ ಶ್ರೀ ಶ್ರೀ ಸಚ್ಚಿದಾನಂದೇಂದ್ರ ಸರಸ್ವತಿ ಸ್ವಾಮೀಜಿ ಹೊಳೆ ನರಸೀಪುರ ಕರ್ನಾಟಕ ಇಂಡಿಯಾ ಇನ್ ದಿಸ್ ಲೆಕ್ಚರ್ ಸೀರೀಸ್ ವಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಆಲ್ರೆಡಿ ಸೀನ್ ಏಟ್ ಸೆಷನ್ಸ್ ಟುಡೇಸ್ ಈಸ್ ದಿ ನೈನ್ತ್ ಸೆಷನ್ ಓಂ ಶ್ರೀ ಗುರುಭ್ಯೋ ನಮಃ ಹರಿ ಓಂ ಶ್ರೀ ಗಣೇಶಾಯ ನಮಃ ಡಾಕ್ಟರ್ ಕೃಷ್ಣಮೂರ್ತಿ ಶಾಸ್ತ್ರಿ ದಂಬೆ ಪುಣಚ ಬಂಟ್ವಾಳ ತಾಲೂಕು ದಕ್ಷಿಣ ಕನ್ನಡ ಜಿಲ್ಲೆ ಕರ್ನಾಟಕ ಭಾರತ ಇನ್ ದ ಕೋರ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಎಫೋರ್ಸಿಡ್ ಎಗ್ ಆರ್ಗ್ಯುಮೆಂಟ್ ಶಂಕರ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಪಾಯಿಂಟೆಡ್ ಔಟ್ ಎ ಫೋರ್ಸಿಬಲ್ ಪೊಸಿಷನ್ ದ್ಯಾಟ್ ನಥಿಂಗ್ ಪ್ರೊಡ್ಯೂಸ್ಡ್ ಬೈ ಎಫರ್ಟ್ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಬಿ ಎಟರ್ನಲ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಹೆನ್ಸ್ ಮೋಕ್ಷ ಬೀಯಿಂಗ್ ಎಟರ್ನಲ್ ಕೆನಾಟ್ ಬಿ ದ ಇಫೆಕ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಐದರ್ ಕರ್ಮ ಆರ್ ಉಪಾಸನ ಆರ್ ಬೋತ್ ಕಂಬೈಂಡ್ ಎಟ್ ದಿಸ್ ಸ್ಟೇಜ್ ದಿ ಒಪೋನೆಂಟ್ ಆರ್ ಜಸ್ that even what is produced might well be permanent on the strength of a vedic statement on that uh, to that effect shankara now brings forward the clinching argument that a vedic text is only a revealer of an existent fact and not a creator of something that is not already there indeed not even a hundred texts can produce something eternal nor make anything produced imperishable here is a principle of exegesis unrecognized by any other vedantic school even post shankara vedantins of the advaitic school appear to ignore this fundamental axiom when they appeal to shruti as the highest tribunal on certain controverted postulates in the face of reason based on universal experience third point another important piece of argument in the bhashya though not of much interest to the lay reader is seen in the exposure of the material fallacy of the scholastic whose fantasy raises even non-existence to the rank of a positive entity and attributes quality number and causal relation to that figment in the present bhashya the karma mimamsaka takes shelter under this fallacy when he argues that moksha can well be a negative like the pradhvamsa abhava or non-existence after destruction and yet be produced like it. Shankara shatters this logic chopping by pointing out that it is only a construction of imagination to believe that non-existence is produced since non-existence does not allow like a positive entity of any attribute or act being ascribed to it. and hence is devoid of all distinctions such as previous non-existence mutual non-existence or non-existence after destruction for if it were to have attributes it it would be a positive entity and no longer non-existence fourth one there are a few more features of the bhashya to which full justice cannot be done before the study of the upanishad as a whole is completed they have therefore been held over for consideration in the introduction to the bhashya on anandavalli and bhruguvalli sources for notes in the preparation of my notes on the bhashya i have of course frequently consulted anandagiri's gloss sureshwara's vartikas and sayana's bhashya as being the only authoritative writings available on the subject i have depended however more on shankara's own statements in his other bhashyas whenever these sources seemed to be in conflict with one another or what is more serious with shankara himself anandagiri commonly but erroneously believed to be the direct disciple of shankara is as has been shown in the sanskrita introduction a very recent writer since he 
expressly refers to words like tattvaloka and prakatartha he mixes up he mixes up post shankarite doctrines with genuine shankara teachings so much so that i have had to guard the student against some of his opinions unsupported or even rejected by the bhashya sureshwara is very brief in his vartika and seems to merely summarize the bhashya on the shikshavalli sayana on the other hand is so elaborate that the ordinary student scarcely sees the wood for the trees and derives very little help in understanding some of the shankara's terse and pithy statements in these circumstances i have tried to clarify most of the difficult points in the bhashya solely on the strength of the parallel passages elsewhere in shankara's other bhashyas this accounts for the numerous citations from his other works interspersed throughout the notes how far i have succeeded in this attempt the critical reader alone is to judge for myself i regard this editing work more as a piece of service and devotion to the holy feet of that revered teacher next the taitriya upanishad anandavalli bhruguvalli introduction general observations on the scope and tenor of the upanishad will be found in the introduction to shikshavalli we shall now enter upon the central central theme of upanishad as taught as taught in anandavalli and bhruguvalli which together form a composite whole the relation between the two parts of the upanishad from shankara's introductory remarks on shiksha as well as anandavalli we learn that while brahmavidya is actually begun in shikshavalli alone it is still merely upasana meditation of the conditioned brahman that is attempted there that teaching necessarily presumes the distinction of brahman and the devotee who is to teach brahman only after shuffling off this mortal coil now all this is within the sphere of avidya ignorance of the pure brahman and therefore the highest goal is not attained until one realizes his absolute identity with brahman after annihilating this nonsense it is only on this supposition that one can understand why on exhausting all meditations whether exclusive of or conjoint with karma a distinct section like anandavalli devoted solely to the pure knowledge of brahman becomes necessary subject matter of this portion we may now enter into details of the upa upanishadic upanishadic teaching as presented here brahman is reality consciousness infinity and bliss whoever realizes it as one's own self has no cause of fear at all since he abides forever in that secondless brahman beyond the pale of fear and tapas contracting of all the organs of knowledge is the one indispensable means to this knowledge there are a few upasanas enjoined in both anandavalli and bhruguvalli but they are meant only for medita- medi- uh, mediocre aspirants the main trend of the teaching however is unbroken even while these upasanas are inter- interposed in as much as they serve a useful purpose in pointing out the media of realization or else in glorifying the knower of brahman in order to eulogize the knowledge of brahman as explained at some length in the present commentary brahman as the cause there are three methods of approach adopted here to lead the aspirant to the intuition of brahman all of these may be comprehended under one heading adhyaroba apavada 
the method of deliberate imputation and subsequent negation this method consists in attributing certain characteristics to the featureless brahman in order to fix the attention of the student on it and then passing on to a higher point of view from which the assumed characteristic becomes sublated the attribution itself is a concession to the empirical intellect to enable it to rise to the higher standpoint later on the modus operandi of the method may be illustrated by applying it to the notion of causality the time bound human intellect is inherently used to the notion of causality so much that it demands a cause for the entire universe natively forgetting that this relation if at all can obtain within the universe only between phenomena in time or place the upanishad therefore starts from a definition of brahman as reality consciousness and infinity and declares satyam jnanam anantam brahma and declares outright that even akasha ether the primary element concomitant with time is produced from brahman all creation or rather evolution is only a manifestation of brahman paramatman or god as the true self of all who wills to become many to become this manifold world he himself enters into the aggregate of the body and senses via as jiva the supporter of the senses and transforms himself into all that we see gross and subtle sentient and non sentient real and unreal now this is only for the purpose of pointing out that there can be nothing apart from brahman the effect being only the cause in another form we thus arrive at the conclusion that brahman is the only reality the only consciousness and is infinitely itself infinity itself hence there is no second to limit it for all limitation is due to space or time or a second thing beside the one which it limits but everything including time and space is produced from brahman is in fact an appearance superimposed upon it and nothing which is merely a construction of the mind can possibly limit or otherwise affect its real substrate and the individual soul being no other than brahman itself is only a seeming distinct on account of this superimposed adjunct the mind according to shankara then the shruti apparently teaching creation only purports to convince the inquirer of his identity with the non-dual brahman which brooks no second the method of five sheets again the shruti in the course of describing the evolution of brahman into the universe states that from the earth came plants and prativya oshadayaha oshadebhyo annam and from plants food whence this human being annad bhavanti bhutani as stated above brahman has itself entered his human body and manifests itself as jiva with his various specific properties such as seeing hearing thinking and understanding now man generally looks upon himself as a body though he is daily aware of the vital force mind and understanding also as a part of himself the shruti therefore starts from this false atman or body as the most familiar man and takes the enquirer to the real atman or uh, brahman step by step through pranayama mano pranamaya manomaya and vijnanamaya selves each subtler than the previous one each pre- pervading all the previous koshas or sheets and hence more entitled to be considered as one's own self in each case however the shruti also broadens his ordinary outlook 
thus it identifies the annamaya with the cosmic virat the pranamaya with the cosmic sutratma and the manomaya with the hiranmaya uh, that is uh, hiranyagarbha as vedatma while it identifies the vijnanamaya with the hiranyagarbha the cosmic buddhyatma till at last even the anandamaya or enjoying self is transcended and brahman as the real self of all is realized as such here too the shruti does not mean to avert uh, ever that there are actually five different koshas like uh, uh, scabbards covering a sword each literally enclosed within the next one all koshas are really superimpositions of superimpositions of avidya the only reality being brahman only each successive kosha being subtler than the preceding one claims to be more entitled to be regarded as the real self as the enquirer looks deeper and deeper proofs for the existence of brahman brahman described as the tail and support of anandamaya being divested of all conditions and having no characterizing features whatever he is likely to be considered as altogether non existent man is so habituated to look upon his body senses or mind as his own real self that he might be inclined to think that after all brahman which the shruti postulates as the real self of all might be no more than an abstraction since nothing whatever remains as a residue after the elimination of the physiological psychical intellectual and ethical constituents of the human being the shruti therefore offers some proofs or rather persuasive suggestions to lead him to the intuition of the real self the fact that the world demands a cause or reality underlying it that there is an individual self in, uh, enclosed within each mind which an introvert person recognizes as his true self that the phenomena of real and apparent names and forms as well as of sentient and non-sentient beings desiderate some real basis that virtue is universally believed to be ultimately rewarded that all beings strive with the fervent hope of attaining worldly pleasure and with a firm belief in a fountain head of joy and fact that some highly developed souls are seen to be altogether free from fear while the rest are invariably inspired with fear one should conclude that there is brahman or reality which alone could satisfactorily account for these data of experience while these are by no means proofs in the logical sense of the term they do arrest our attention and direct us towards brahman which is our true self it is clear that we can neither prove nor disprove the existence of our own self since it is the very basis of thought which we utilize for proving or disproving anything and nobody can shake off his own self try as we may and the secondless brahman as our self says the shruti is imperceptible formless undefinable not requiring another support and as such one who abides in it is surely established in absolute fearlessness next trial of brahmanda anandavali is appropriately so named on account of its revealing the unexcelled featureless and secondless bliss called brahmananda the shruti describes ananda pleasure as the central part of anandamaya as body and shankara says ananda or worldly pleasure is really brahman which manifests itself in a particular modification of mind whenever one's son friend or other object of desire is presented by virtue of good karma 
This is known in ordinary life as a sensual pleasure, Vishayananda. This pleasure is momentary because the karma which gives rise to the particular mood of the mind is unstable. As the mind is more and more freed from sullying impressions of by the practice of concentration, meditation, chastity and reverential faith, which dispel the darkening tamas, it becomes more and more clear and transparent and the pleasure amplified to that extent. Thus, we learn that Brahmananda or Divine Bliss itself assumes the guise of worldly pleasure owing to concomitant conditions. That is why the Shruti says, who could be active and who could breath, breathe if there were not this bliss in Akasha, implying thereby that all human activities really aim at the attainment of this bliss. And it is for this reason true that the highest type of worldly happiness attained through external and internal practices is pointed out here to enable us to trace this supreme bliss. Shankara observes, as consciousness is more and more screened by ignorance and as ignorance becomes more and more intense, a particle of the highest bliss itself becomes the unstable worldly pleasure experienced by Brahma and other things downward in the measure of their karma, meditation and the external means available. This same bliss is experienced in greater and greater degrees by Manushyas, Gandharvas and other beings in the higher planes according as avidya, desire and karma decrease till the highest point is reached in the bliss of Brahman. When uh, when on the other hand, distinction of subject and object is blotted out by vidya, it becomes the natural bliss perfectly uniform and non-dual. It will be observed that, that here as elsewhere, avidya is radically responsible for the apparent distinction of the divine and the mundane. The difference between Brahmanda and worldly pleasures, degrees of worldly happiness and its impermanence are all creations of avidya. Just as the removal of this veil of ignorance by knowledge results in the realization of Brahman untainted by the manifold universe and in the absolute identity of Brahman and Jiva untinged with koshas or rather just as the universe and individual self enveloped by koshas lose their self-identity in and reveal their eternally real nature as Brahman, so also all worldly happiness with its apparently various degrees is seen to merge its self-identity in Brahmananda or pure bliss without any distinction of subject and object. Shankara here quotes a Shruti text, it is of this bliss verily that other beings enjoy a part. Brahadaranyaka Upanishad It is of this bliss verily that other beings enjoy a part. He compares these particles of bliss particles only as seen by ignorance to drops of sea spray implying thereby that worldly pleasures are of are forever one with Brahmananda, which is intensively Brahman itself. Reward of Knowledge Whoever succeeds in identifying the five koshas with the corresponding macrocosmic upadhis or adjuncts of Brahman and melting each preceding kosha self in the succeeding one by realizing it as a more subtle, more pervasive and as such more entitled to be regarded as the true self, finally intuits Brahman as his very self. He has absolutely nothing to be afraid of, for he verily becomes Brahman itself simultaneously with the dawn of such intuition. He need no more fear the consequences of omitting any good deed or committing a bad one. For 
in his eyes both the good and the bad have been sublimated and are now indistinguishable from his own self no desires remain for him unfulfilled for desires too have now melted into atman it is only adopting the common parlance that the shruti sings his praise when it declares that he can assume all forms and enjoy desired objects in whatever worlds they may happen to exist knowledge and ignorance thus according to shankara the process of the one brahman becoming the manifold universe brahman's entering the body as a living soul the soul's introspection and discrimination of the five koshas and its final realization and rest in the bliss of brahman ineffable ineffable and incomprehensible and beyond the pale of fear these and other details belong to the province of adhyaropa or deliberate imputation only merely intended as a device to make the teaching intelligible to the enquiring mind for all duality is a figment of avidya one may convince oneself of this truth by turning one's mind to the experience of deep sleep where in the absence of avidya no trace of duality is to be seen it cannot be contended that non experience of duality in that state may itself be due to ignorance just like the perception of the dual world in the other two states for what we call sleep is natural state of atman not contingent on any extraneous factor in truth however neither knowledge nor ignorance is a property of the self in as much as they are both objects of intuition whereas the self itself can never be objectified they belong therefore to the category of names and forms superimposed on the self like day and night that are na- uh, natively imputed to the sun the present commentary the bhashya on the taittiriya upanishad though written in a very simple style contains ve- many such valuable thoughts often thirstily put in a, uh, in aphoristic sentences demanding an elucidative commentary there is available no doubt the invaluable vartika by sureshwara acharya the immediate disciple of shankara but it is in itself too brief for a beginner to understand all that is implied in it anandagiri stika and sayana's loved bhashya on taittiriya aranyaka are as observed in my introduction in shikshavalli often wide of the mark and cannot be taken for safe guides on many a knotty point that puzzles the ordinary student of the bhashya feeling therefore that an explanatory commentary on the bhashya is still a desideratum i have tried in me in my humble way to supply this want the procedure adopted here is the same as in my mandukya rahasya vivrti hit a complete explanation of the bhashya in all its implications from the beginning to the end in the order in which they occur together with the critical review of objections to shankara's interpretation by recent writers belonging to other schools of vedanta so as to bring to the forefront the comparative excellence of shankara's system for this purpose i have relied upon shankara's other commentaries on the prasthana trayi or the tripod of vedanta to wit upanishads bhagavad gita and brahma sutras upadesha sahasra of shankara vartika sutra of sureshwaracharya and gaudapada's famous karikas as my exclusive authorities for determining the traditional method and the cardinal doctrines of vedanta i have not hesitated to examine any errors of thought or interpretation in other commentaries which i deemed to be in clash with shankara's views on points of importance next brahma vidya rahasya vivrtihi introduction that we shall see in the next session so
hereby we are ending the ninth session in lecture series of introductions to vedanta text by shri shri sachidananda saraswati swami ji hole narsipura hare rama shri shri sachidananda saraswati charanarvinda arpitamastu sarve jana sukhino bhavantu om tat sat brahma arpanamastu